It's that time, J-Rod, Zachary, yo, yo, and for yet another return visit to the co-host table, to the carpool co-host table, Draz. Hello. What's up, Greg? How you doing, man? Doing real well. Gentlemen, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, good. I'm ready. You're a little quiet today. Um, I'm wilding out. It has to be the heat. <laughs> it's always the heat. I mean, I think, what was it? Uh, uh, recorded temperature was 101 and heat index was 201. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just... You should have done this outside. Uh, <laughs> dude, yeah. I thought about it. We were going to do the Amsterdam Beer Garden, but our friend Greg was kind enough to open up the illustrious, the infamous Falcon's Nest. Yes. Good little <laughs> spot in the air conditioning. You know, there's, I mean, there's a little bit of buzz. People are like, what exactly is that thing? And I'm like, I haven't figured it out yet. That's where we want it. Keep it mysterious. It's almost like a speakeasy. <laughs> it's a Shriners Club <laughs> with bigger Sorry, cars. <laughs> with a bunch of... Uh, uh, little person motorcycles out back and go karts yep. and run around the block here on the hill. Yep, we can just keep it all hidden. <laughs> Secrets. Do you wear those Pumbaa hats too? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> That'd be awesome. In case you're wondering, it's a secret handshake and you'll never learn it, people. It's all right. Nope. Thanks for uh, thanks for hosting, man. Really no problem. Happy to that. have you on behalf of the Falcon Social Club down here on the hill. Beautiful neighborhood in St. Louis. Across from, looks like it's up and running, huh? The uh, Amagettis. Amagettis is, yes. I think uh, it's doing great. We're keeping them in business. <laughs> They're doing well. I mean, how, that's one thing about, you know, St. Louis is, uh, all of us travel all over all the time. And we're all, I would venture to guess, foodies to a degree. Yeah. Um, it's tough to beat St. Louis. And then you're down in this neighborhood. Oh, man. The is options there, in this neighborhood are fantastic. I mean, legitimately, you know, is there a neighborhood in the country that has comparable sandwich shops? Just start with sandwich. Forget about the Italian vibe, but just sandwich shops alone than the hill. I think the hill's going to be up there, but, uh, I mean, you got to look at little Italy in New it's York. Not nah, close. we're not even talking about New York. Yeah, it's, yeah, okay. But it's not even close, Greg. I'm, I'm, t I'm telling you. I've been to little Italy multiple times, and I've had better meals here. Oh, I'm on your side. And they, I'm not joking. And they let you back multiple yeah. times? I, I've, I've had, you know, I mean, I'll tell you what. There's a place in little Italy. It's called uh, uh, Angelo's, and it is phenomenal. Um, but I'm going to tell you. There are some restaurants here that will punch back. Yep. The old standbys and the new ones. <clears throat> carnivore. You guys been to Carnivore? Oh, yeah. Check it out. It's good. And then uh, one of the guys here, his family, is uh, they own Guido's. Guido's Dude, is they're, phenomenal. Yeah, the pizzas, pizzas at Guido's are fantastic. Pizza's fire. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's Jared's favorite, Guido's. I got to talk to the dude about with the Guido's connection because they used to have a um, a taco pizza there that mm. they have discontinued mm. that is numerous people in my family's favorite pizza ever. And we went there just recently and they said they took it off the menu. 
They're really nice people. My bet is if we talk to somebody, we can get that. We could ask nicely. Even if it's just a one-off when you show up. Yeah. I would do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the day and age of Yelp. We can be like, yep. hey, pop that thing on there. We will Yelp the hell out of it. No question. Value. Quid pro quo. Yep. Throw some seasoned ground beef and tortilla chips, some tortilla on, my, chips. on my pizza. <laughs> some carn tortilla chips. <laughs> and, and we'll help you out. Um, quick recap. We've, we've, we've had a, what I would call a summertime run of shows, um, rapid fire. We were really stacking them up with vacations and everything kind of coming into play, leaning into preseason for the boys and school and everything else. Some of the recent episodes, um, I I mean, it's just, we're ecstatic with uh, the quality of our guests, uh, the vibe, the stories, it just, it just seems to be getting, uh, better and better and to a degree, a little bit easier and easier, you know? Um, because I think a lot of them have listened, so they're coming on and the, the pressure is dropped for many of our guests. And I think it's showing in the conversations. So go back, you know, AJ and his dad, AJ, uh, Palazzolo. Palazzola. Palazzola. Thank you. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I torch that every time. And his dad, Paolo. That was, that was bad. It was. Um, I apologize, AJ and Brian. I noticed actually <clears throat> in the episode you kept calling him. Did I? Paolo. P, the P table. because I think No, I kept were, on saying dad. D- dad, hey, dad, the P table. I just think you were like, I, I don't know if I can say this last name. No, because I, I don't know. There's something about like the A-L-A and the double Z with you know, vowels on each side. He's not just mess with my head a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, that family and that kid, um, they're hard to, um, not root for. I mean, those guys, I, I, you know, they exhibit everything St. Louis from yeah the, the roots up and, um, I'm pulling for them. Yeah. That was, that was a fun one. And then, uh, the one prior with the Pearl call Rose, um, uh, getting texts from buddies all over the place. Uh, they're like, what the hell? Where'd you find that guy? Um, Springfield, Missouri. Springfield. That's what I said. He was in Springfield. He came up and visited us. Yeah. Um, that, it was just awesome. Just just kind of like anybody that grew up in this town uh, in the late 70s, 80s that was aware of the soccer scene, y- you really need to listen to that episode because... Yep. He, he paints that picture again, and it was just phenomenal. This is an audio cast. Um, that would have been real good to be yeah. um, visual um, because he showed some emotion. I think people would have really liked. It was, it was, it was awesome. Uh, so anyway, go back, catch some of those, and there's many more that I didn't mention. Um, I'd be remiss not to obviously mention our uh, sponsors, our supporters. Uh, Crescent Plumbing Supply was on the phone with them yesterday, and they're, you know, they're just really loving the vibe of what we're doing and um, there's the, they're, they're getting positive feedback and people that are like, hey, podcast, we're interested in a tub. Uh, so that's good. Check it out because, I mean, they're, they're really, really good at what they do. You, you got a rehab need that involves plumbing. They're the ones. And that would be your kitchen, your bath, your dog shower, your outside beer garden, whatever it is, hit them up. And then Chris and Bill, uh, our buddies from over at thepinnacleloans.com, uh, continuing sports show. Uh, the tickets went to Aaron Jackstat uh, to the Austin game. And um, thank you so much for that. Um, 
And what we're going to do today, we're, we're going to jump on the pinnacle points later on, but we're going to go ahead and take a quick break because our guest is rolling on here in just two seconds. So I'm going to roll us out. Uh, you gentlemen ready for a quick break and uh, bring the man on? Yes, sir. Yep. All right, here we go. Let's do it. Yo, Jared here. Remember the pool pandemic of 2021? I was infected. I needed my own oversized oasis in Winslow. I needed a simple solution to pay for it. So I reached out to my favorite undefeated CBC freshman standouts, Bill and Chris, at The Pinnacle Loans. Long story short, I have my pool. It's a flipping hammer. The loan process with those guys was so simple. Even I did it. Now, every time I get in my pool to drink ice cold beer, I can thank the team over at ThePinnacleLoans.com. That's ThePinnacleLoans.com. 20 and 0 as freshmen? Really? Crescent Plumbing Supply helps save marriages. Really. As families grow, kitchen and bath needs change rapidly. Designing and choosing the right fixtures takes way more skill than just scrolling Pinterest. Staying on budget and avoiding those foreign language order sheets, that's not easy. Lucky for you, the local team at Crescent Plumbing Supply, they are experts. They can help you ditch the baby's tub for a teenage shower and upsize that kitchen sink for all those tumblers, rosé glasses, and sports water bottles. So when you're ready for that kitchen or bath makeover, go to crescentsupply.com. That's crescentsupply.com. It's cheaper than a therapist. We're back. You guys ready for this? Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm ready. Cold beers? Um, yes, sir. You, the, uh, the music is just... Um, you love so, it. So so. Oh my God. The, yeah. I mean, the first oh, one. Oh, oh where Jared go? That's the mute button. <laughs> he got muted already. <laughs> that didn't take long. You get a yellow card, man. Um, we're, we're back from break. Uh, really excited uh, to roll our guest in here. Um, I did a little bit of homework uh, before we introduce him. I did a little homework. I checked out, you know, obviously the wiki page, right? Because that's so informative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, music is such a huge thing on our show. It's just my thing, right? I like to try and connect those dots. Right, Moby? I think it's all uh, our here thing. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Bald comments have come out already. <laughs> no, no, I love his music, man. Um, and the hometown of our guest today, you, you read it and you automatically assume, oh, it's got to be close to Boston. Little did I know, it's much closer to Providence. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? Our, our guest knows it. He's like, yeah, okay, these guys can read a map. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> uh, and little known, uh, here's a little secret. I don't, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a movie from 1999. It's, it's called Outside Providence, which is literally kind of where our guest grew up. Uh, just watch it. It is hilarious. Uh, Norm from Cheers is in it, and Alec Baldwin, and, and basically it's a blue collar town. And the whole movie is built around the soundtrack. And guess it, what is the theme song of the movie? Hmm. Hmm. Won't the get fooled again. Won't get fooled again. There you go. Okay. So, outside Providence, 
which is where our guest today is from, Ad- Ad- Attleboro, I believe. Is that correct? Am I saying it properly? You are saying it correct. There we go. We have the Mr. Jeff Cameron. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Um, we, you know, we, we talked a little bit uh, before we came online here uh, about, you know, our show, what we do, what we really try to focus on, and, and frankly, just have fun. And with you, it's like, we have no idea where to start, <laughs> you know, because you've had just an amazing career. Um, so let me just kind of ask a kickoff question because you've done it all for the most part. Um, what what decade? Where should we start? You get to choose our format, our order here. Yeah, youth, college. You want to go straight to England. We, we typically drive the bus, but you've got qualifications like uh, you know that are super impressive well let's let, let's we're we're all dads right and absolutely yes sir where we started off and kind of having um i would say my biggest mentor and my best friend was my father and um you know it was funny because my grandfather it was like a tripod before he passed away um it was my dad my pop and myself and we would go all over massachusetts all over connecticut driving soccer games and he never missed one um he lived up in worcester and he would drive down every weekend attleboro and you'd see every single game and you know there are games where i just wanted to be on the other i wanted to get a ride home from my friends because my dad was just like you just wasted two hours of my life (laughs) (laughs) doing a side job because you know i was walking around i didn't put the effort in and and it's funny because i look back and i i think i wouldn't be anywhere i where i've made it and what i've done in my life if it wasn't for him um and you know the support of my mom and my family and everything but how hard my dad was on me um and seeing the miss opportunities that he had when he was younger and letting drinking get the best of him and partying when he could have played in the nhl and hockey and that was a big thing for him but he had the distractions and other things were a little bit more focused and he saw the ability in me and he's like i've done everything in the sense of like i yeah, I knew what I could get away with, and I'm not going to let you get away with anything. <laughs> so, so let me ask yeah. you this, uh, you, Dad. You, you just kind of alluded to the fact that he was a hockey player. Um, yeah. um, what about what about you as a kid? Was when when did you know, or were there other sports involved? Because obviously, in that part of the country, uh, hockey is you know that that's front and center too. Uh, were you a multi sport athlete, and what drove you to soccer at the end of the day? Um. So. It's funny, I'm, I'm looking up in my office right now, and I have a Char and a Bergeron jersey. And, <laughs> um, Never heard of those guys. This is St. Louis yeah, country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it was, uh, I played hockey, basketball, baseball, soccer. But honestly, I was bored with baseball. I was a left-handed. I was either a pitcher or a first baseman. And, I was, and then half the time, I was in the outfield playing in the mud or the grass because you're bored and you know with my ADD or whatever like I just needed to stay stimulated so I was playing all these other sports and I kind of joke around with my dad he tied my skates too tight and we'd do open open ice in the morning on the weekends and I mean I loved hockey but I fell in love with soccer and around 
I'd say that around the age of like 14, I kind of just focused everything on soccer. And that's, that's kind of anything to do with the fact that it takes about 45 minutes to get ready to play hockey <laughs> and another 45 minutes to take everything off and with soccer it's eight to 60 seconds it's actually funny because my dad never wore like he was like old school he's like ah, i never wore uh socks he cut the socks and he had to go bare like old school like hockey right and i'm like Ooh. no like this is not this is not me <laughs> like this is too old school for me and then you open that bag and it just absolutely stinks and i was like no nah, this is nope i'm just gonna go with soccer shin pad sweet you got you yeah. said 14 i mean um and i know that means you didn't pick up a soccer ball at 14 and you were playing multiple sports as you referenced but nowadays 14 to really start a um focus you, you focus on one sport is considered late and i know we're in different eras and in different times and can you speak on that a little bit like uh, what that did for you playing multiple sports um until 14 and uh i mean by your resume and your accomplishments 14 wasn't too late for you so uh i, I mean just just talk about that a little bit i mean 14's a late start would you guys agree yeah for, that's that's a, that's a really good question because I, I think it's really important to like other sports um, bring different types of athleticism, right? And emphasize in different areas. So having like hand-eye coordination and like, you know, baseball, essentially hand-eye coordination, playing soccer, basketball. I'll, if you look at a lot of those sports and now like NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, a lot of them are fans of soccer or like, I know some of like the Bruins guys would do juggle the soccer ball well before a before a, a match, and you're just thinking of like that's that's the athleticism that they had, and they identified with that at a young age. But they chose to play hockey. Maybe that's just maybe they fell in love with it. But I think it just develops your skills and your athleticism a little bit more. And then you like, it's not that I, I feel like if I would have chosen hockey my build would have been different. I would have focused on different areas of lifting and just, you know, doing side jobs with my dad and my dad saying, carry up uh, three, three, three racks of shingles and, yeah. and whatever. And you throw it over your shoulder, like how he used to do. And he said, you know, he would, uh, for his wrist shot, he would just practice going like this with a, having a bigger hammer or whatever, you know, just those things that help <laughs> his game up. Yeah. And he'd have like a 48 ounce stiletto or something like that. You know? <laughs> I just remember going on the roof and he'd have one nail and just one, and it'd just be one, one whack. There was no like uh, nail gun or anything like so, that. And I just remember I'm sliding down the shingles like this and going like that. And he's just hammering away and it's just boom, boom, boom. And he's just, it was an absolute machine. Yeah. But like that strength and that development and playing other sports and basketball, I think it develops you in a different way and you see the game and or see the games in a different way so when i end up like really focusing because i think it was like i wasn't forced to make a decision but it was like i couldn't play basketball anymore because i was doing indoor soccer i was committed to that team um and then doing uh, you know playing lacrosse or hockey or whatever i couldn't commit to those teams because i was playing soccer so it was like i had to make a decision 
um, staying committed to these these club teams, and that's where I got to put my time in. And let, let me let me ask you this, just kind of a because you're talking about um, so far, you've alluded to kind of the physical attributes of playing multi-sports, whether it's balance or upper body or hand-eye and all these other things. Talk a little bit about, though, um, what by playing other sports, um, and I'm going to do this in a kind of compare-contrast, if you just stay with yeah. me for just a second, because in today's development world, soccer only, kids are committing to the game exclusively 8, 9, 10, very, very young ages uh, yeah. from a developmental uh, path standpoint. And through that development, a lot of coaches, Division One coaches in particular that we spoke to, they talk about the lack of competitiveness, of, of, of finding kids that, yes, they're technically sound or they're very skilled at the game, but they haven't played in a lot of games that matter or that result in trophies, et cetera. Whereas you, what you were describing and talking about was by playing all these other sports, yes, there's physical attributes that were attributable to those other uh, uh physical skills talk a little bit about competition though because it sounds like to me just based on your vibe talking about your dad and and you know what you know you alluded to his personality you probably didn't like to lose so when you played these other sports did the competitive nature of all of that where did that come into play in your early soccer career yeah it's uh um it's a really good question. It, it, it really is because I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's either in you or it's not, right? Yeah, and like yep. that competitive thing. And my dad would talk about like I was more of the technical player playing soccer and didn't really want to get stuck in a tackle. And then all of a sudden it just clicked. And now I'm the physical and I'm throwing two footed tackles everywhere. And like I'm aggressive, I'm an aggressive person. But it was more of you playing with your friends and, you know, the second place and third place, you don't get rewards. It's the competition of like, you get who, guilt you know, for losing. <laughs> you know, like he's like teasing your friend. I, I'll never forget. I had a really good friend down the street from me. He was a third degree black belt. And this dude was like a machine, Brad Witherell. If you're listening, been a while my man um, <laughs> but we used to go down there and like all the kids in the neighborhood and he wasn't the most athletic guy but he challenged and like made it difficult but like he could never compare to my athleticism but the one thing is i wouldn't go near him because i've seen what he could do <laughs> and like you know i go to like we were good mates and we were go going to his karate class i've never gone to a karate class and then all of a sudden he's doing like all this crazy stuff and i'm like Dude, i don't want to mess with you and he's like yeah i don't like really show i don't really reveal that side but he just wasn't that athletically tuned or really involved with sports that much and he would just get along with it but it was like the challenge and all the other kids around the neighborhood would just play all different sports men hunt kick the can uh dodgeball you name it it, it was just fun because that was a competitive nature and then there would be some teasing and some banter but i think that like pushed us as kids that challenged us and you didn't want to be the loser you didn't want to be like uh coming in second place and you know hold yourself the above everyone else and without question 
Well, you know, you, you are literally, um, I mean, the paint is still wet on your retirement. You've been, you're still very, very close to the game. You've been around some incredible clubs. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of the academy systems at these clubs, and you've seen it across the country. Um, you know, when you look at today's landscape in lieu of or kind of in line with what we're discussing right now, that that grit, that competitiveness, um, do you think that... We're losing it? Yeah, yeah, that we're balancing enough competition in a way to generate that mental drive to want to compete, or are we overval- potentially overvaluing, quote, player development? Are we, yeah, are we just, is our emphasis only on development when we could be also developing winners? That is, that is one of the most important things that you said, is winners in that mentality. Like, for me, we, everybody wants to be a number nine, number 10, the goal scorers, the, the main guys, right? But how many other players are on the pitch that those number nines and those number tens need the workers, need the grafters, need those people that just are the nitty gritty, they do the dirty work to get them the ball, to allow them to be creative. And you have more of an opportunity to succeed if you think like that, because it gives you a chance to have nine other positions on the field. And how many other people are thinking of, I just want to be the number nine, I want to be the number 10. Those are those are a dime a dozen. Those are like the one percenters of the one percent, right? That are right. the creative geniuses, and they have that ability. But if that hard work and that determination, that is where you'll succeed more. And that's what I love more than anything. Like I still do it every day. Like I have to wake up and I have to graft. I have to do a workout. I have to do something to stimulate my mind more so. If I don't, I feel lethargic. I feel like mentally just beaten. And that competition is only going to help our development and growth. If we keep on handing kids everything and not like, hey, what Breck and I are wanting to do is create something that we have a, a, an area of like people come in and they can get that graft in. And they have everything to offer that these pros have. But at the end of the day, it comes down to you as an individual of what your mentality is. Because you can be given X, Y, Z and still fail because your mentality, it's too easy for you. It's They can be the most luxury player. But if yeah. they don't have the willingness and that graph, that mental capacity, just, you know what? I got to put hard work in. And... That's for me the most important thing. You got to create winners in that way. Like, you don't get rewarded for second place and third place. You should feel like shit. <laughs> Be honest, you should. Yeah, no, for, it, and, and that's what we're rewarding as a society now. We're rewarding mediocre. We're we're rewarding people that finish last. When how does that help the first place players? Because guess what? They come back the next year. They got to be pushed harder because. If you're getting a reward for second and third place, it's uh, I don't really have to work hard next year. I'll still get a I'll still get a trophy. Yeah, I mean, let me ask you let me ask you a challenging question though, Jeff, because we hear that a lot, and and I'm not in any way, shape, or form disagreeing, but I think most kids that are competitive in any shape or form recognize that they did not win anything. 
they might be happy with the trophy that they can put up somewhere. But I think from a, a competitive developmental standpoint, most kids that are going to go somewhere with athletics understand, well, we didn't win a single game <laughs> this year. Yeah. We scored no goals and yet we have a participation trophy. At some point, I think they start to understand that I'm not actually winning anything. I'm not growing. The kids that are getting those first place, you know, because the wins and things, I think they understand that. So my question to you is, it's twofold. One, talk a little bit about what you and Breck are doing because you you made reference to Breck and most of our audience does not know who Breck is. They all think it's um, a ski so, resort. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> No, it's, it's not short for Brecken. No. Um, so talk a little bit about, about what you guys are working on post-retirement. And then can you talk a little bit about what you are, are, are thinking should be done at that youth level to kind of combat some of this, um, you know, challenge to, to the winner side of things, meaning the participation piece of it. Yeah. So I know the long setup in JBM. They kind of go along with, they kind of go along with each other because what I experienced in, you know, Breck Shea obviously played a U.S. Yeah. national team, FC Dallas, Stoke City, Vancouver, Miami, um, Orlando, Atlanta. So he's got some uh, experience in the MLS and, and, you know, played abroad as well. So, like, us having that just pretty cool relationship and we live 15 minutes away from each other in Florida and um, – We've just kind of had this idea, like kind of we both retired the same day. Uh, we're just like, all right, this is it. Like our focus is on this. And we both had the same idea. And it was more of what we learned abroad and what is available for players um, and their ceiling at a younger age is so much higher than what it is in the States. and we're getting there essentially but it's still a little far off because you can walk down the street and there's a premier league championship league one league two conference you name it non-league sunday league or whatever but you have something to work out of you have people or experts that have been in the game for a long time and they know what it is to be a professional and eight-year-old kids are learning how it what it is to be like to be a professional, the mentality, like having a, you know, look at the Jamie Vardy situation of like, you know, he was a brickie and then all of a sudden he keeps grafting and keeps grafting. And then all of a sudden he's still doing everything he possibly can. And then he makes it professional. And the mentality that just doing everything right. And when you come into a place is showing respect and not looking down on people, but you're earning everything that you get, I think is a huge, huge lesson. Um, and the ability that these have in so many different leagues, essentially, if, if you go to the Premier League and you get cut, you go down on the championship. Championship, go to the League One. So there's so many different avenues for them to continue their path of playing professionally. Where here in the States, it's limited. You might have the MLS, you have USL, and then they have, I, I now, like, they started the, I'm trying to figure out the, the next, all these other leagues that just <laughs> yeah. not because it's still not under one umbrella. And it's like, you know what, we could, we could create a league 
and just get other teams to come in and like that's another league right it, it doesn't make sense so like the journeys in the past are all like like this can I ask you a question from the other side of that mountain? Because what we're talking about is a lot of, um, uh, you know, fractured structures at the top, the leagues, et cetera, because we do not have, we don't have that uh, stout FA or Bundesliga, you know, we don't have that football association that's, that's guiding the ship, hence yeah. all these leagues. But at the other end of the spectrum, in the youth development world and then you moving up into teen years and high school in particular uh, a really hot topic on our show is the debate between academies versus high school and where kids can play should play and you know and then what goes along with that is well who's developing the players well who's providing pathway what's your thought as to the current landscape as it sits you know really in that what i would call the uh, U11, U12, up through senior year of high school, kind of that, you know, that 12-year-old to 18-year-old time frame where you do see measurable development, puberty, size, speed, skills. What's, what's your take on the landscape today with, similarly, a ton of fractured options? Yeah. I think it's, it's pretty confusing, to be honest, because... I was at a, you know, when I was playing, it was high school. You played in high school and then you played in club and, you know, the the club players were the best players on the high school team and you were like headhunted, right? Like you had two <laughs> or three of those academy players or I wouldn't say academy because we didn't have academy. It was like club team players that were on the high school and those were what made the high school teams good. I can't tell you the last time I've heard about like going to an high school game because it was like good quality or anything like that because all the players are not allowed to play there anymore. And I also think there's a lot of fraudsters out there of like that are developing these players and saying that they can offer them X, Y, Z and they're actually really hurting the players yeah. it, like mentality wise <clears throat> and they're not pushing them. And I see it every day, every morning I go out here and, I see some coaches on what they're doing and I just, and not saying I'm an expert, but I've gone through it. I've seen, I've seen things and I've seen fraudsters and like, they're, they're really good. And it's like, you look at it and you, and you see parents there are, you know, dropping their kids off and you're seeing um, them being trained and you're just like, what are they doing? Like, yeah. And you hear him. On the, there was one guy that he had one whole pitch, and he was screaming at a twelve-year-old kid, not like trying to give them confidence and trying to guide them in a way. And um, it was like negative reinforcement. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like for me, if there's those are the ages where yeah, you push them. There's a fine line. You push them, push them, push them. But yeah, if if they don't want to pay attention, then they're not going there to work. Okay. Pack your bags, get out. I'm not wasting my time. Yeah. I'm not going to waste your time. And I think that's like the honesty of like parents. And I think that's going back to Zach's like the Breck and I want to bridge that gap, that bring that European model, a sense of like the professionalism and bring it here and offer it from eight years old all the way to pros. That because being a pro in my off season, where can I train? Where do I have the ability to have? really really top staff 
that can continue to push me and strengthen numbers and in the sense of playing with other professionals that are going to push me and keep me going because as we know our off season gets shorter and shorter because there's so many games that just keeps being added on with the national team and there's all these friendlies and this and that so that the windows get shorter and that means that you have to stay fitter you have to stay sharper you have to take care of your body more so there's all these little things that come into it and that's what breck and i want to build and we want to do that what the professionals are doing and provide that for the youth and give them that one or two percent edge that maybe the rest of the world are getting and i always compare like when i go out in the field and we're doing some work with some kids and i say like they'll you overhear them talking like oh you see that game last night yeah that guy was shit I said, oh yeah he was shit huh i said so they were watching oh. sporting kansas city <laughs> but they'll say i'm not gonna say anything <laughs> i did see them pop the houston dynamo though they they uh they had a really good game they, they um but there was like just they made comments they're like oh that player's not good i said okay what were you doing when you were 16 years old oh you're 20 something years years old now well they've been playing professional for seven years yeah what have you been doing compare yourself and like that's where you you try to bring them down a little bit and say, hey, well, wake up. This is there's a 14 year old playing at Man United or they're in the academy, Man City, and like that's where you try to like get them to understand the levels of the game and where they are and where other people are. And I experienced my first year when I came back to the MLS and there was a kid on the team that, I mean he was doing things in the dressing room that was unheard of and if he did this in in england uh he wouldn't survive a day because the guys of the banter i mean it, it just would have been done he, they would have kicked him out and it was more this guy shows his highlight reel of what he did in the academy system and like step overs but then he'd go on the training pitch and shit himself <laughs> but like, where's the mentality of like they live in this this thing and my whole thing is just what you can do is control what you control and that's just show up and just graft be a hard worker and guess what hard work beats like talented players that don't work hard right you can be the most talented player and still not succeed because you don't work hard are they the ones that show up and graft yeah. So Jeff, you've, you've you've used that term a couple times, graft, and I know what it means from a horticultural horticultural standpoint. <laughs> I have never heard that term used as it relates to soccer or athletics. So I'm curious. It's I think English. I have an idea, Grind. But tell me what you mean by when you say just graft. Like graft means you're gonna roll your sleeves up and you're gonna run your ass off. You're going to put the, like, you're going to do the dirty work. You're going to do the tackles. You're going to do the things that one should be guaranteed every single game. You're going to work hard. That should be a given. Like you just, you're, if you're a professional or you're a youth player or whatever, like, and I go back to riding the cars with my dad, I'm going on a youth, youth game. And my dad said, well, I just paid had to do a side job to get money to pay for this tournament and we drive down six seven hours to go to this tournament and all of a sudden 
I put in a performance like that and I walk around and I don't work hard and I rely on my technical ability or this and that, that's not grafting. Like grafting is like you gotta roll your sleeves up. You gotta you gotta run. You gotta do everything you possibly can that should be standard. That's a, that's standard, right? You you show up, you do your job, but then there's the other part. Yeah. Then you allow your skills to do their work, right? Um, well, Jeff, let me inter- let me uh, interject here. So, Zach, you asked a great question, and I've been lucky enough to know this young man for quite some time, um, seeing the maturation of of his career. Um, Jeff, speak to the fact that when you go to, we haven't even touched on national team. We haven't touched on MLS. Uh, we haven't touched on. Yeah, those are kind of important. Stoke City, that kind of thing. But <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, as part of Jeff's career, and at more of a quote unquote advanced age, he ends up at QPR, and QPR is in the championship. Um, this is when I started hearing him use the word graft. I mean, Jeff, speak to the grind. That is the championship, the number of games, the number of opponents, the types of opponents. You talk about tackles. I mean, these are guys that are trying to strive for not only starting jobs, but how can they get premier type contracts? Yeah. Um, Speak to that, because that's when I started hearing about it years ago when he was with QPR. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll kind of go back to Stoke City, their worker, worker town, uh, blue collar, you know, like, um, I experienced that we played Arsenal. And it was like the first time the fans just kind of said, if you have a shit game, don't worry about it. But the one thing is if you walk about and you don't put work in, we're going to let you know. And it was more of that. It was like, okay, like I could have 10 bad passes and tackles and mistakes or whatever. But you know what? If I ran my ass off and I did like the best I could and I knew I made a mistake, but I worked hard to get the ball back and I got in position and I grafted. I like I thought I was proud to wear the the jersey and they could see that I was doing everything I possibly could. You gain their respect. You gain their respect. And it like for me, you can walk off the pitch and go, you know, I had a shit game today. But you know what? No one can tell you you didn't work hard. Things yeah. happen. You have a bad game or whatever, and that's kind of like what I learned from my dad is essentially at the end of the day, if you worked as hard as you could, great. But you know what you can do better next time. You had a bad touch. You didn't play your best ability. Okay, that happens. But it should be a given that you work hard. Let's and get into well, let's get into Jeff Cameron the career. Let's um, let let's let's talk about we Draz brought up QPR. Yeah. Um, what did it mean when an, you're an, as an American, you go there and you earn the captain's band at QPR? What does that mean to you? I mean, I, I, and how many Americans have ever earned that? Um, I mean, you can count less on one hand, probably, uh, if not, you know, two fingers. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, I mean, let, let's talk about your career and let's, you know, we kind of started at the end here and we'll, we'll circle back and I, JB will be real good with real good with getting us maybe to, you know, the first part of your career collegiately, but d- just speak on the captain's band at QPR. It was, uh, it was an honor. Um, and it was a difficult time too, because it was during that, the, um, well, the second part was uh, 
the the COVID year and um, having to deal with a lot of stuff that was on and off the field and your whatever you do, what you say is your uh, spokesperson, your representation of the club and trying to be respectful and you know, there's just more of what you say. It's you're representing everything else and and the fans, the the club, the ownership and everything and um yeah i was i was a jeff tell the the audience how you might be selected as the captain yeah that i mean what i'm really interested of in in regards to this question is number one did you have any idea it was coming down the pipe number two to to add on to draws's question like what's your reaction when you find out how did you find out what was that process yeah um it's the players that vote essentially um and then they vote for whoever they want to be a head captain and they have a co-captain and then you build a senior group essentially you pick players that kind of represent each age group or each kind of group of players that if you have a young player then you would have kind of the leader of the young players come in as a, as a group. So you can kind of facilitate the message across. So like I would have weekly meetings with the manager or before the game, like he'd ask me questions. It was a lot of like things that I didn't necessarily needed to deal with because it's a lot of just bullshit of like, <laughs> just, it, it, it is in the sense of like, I'm, I'm, I was proud a hundred percent, but it's just added stress. Like, all right, do you want to go? Uh, do you want to leave from like um, King's Cross, or do you want to go to Lou? Uh, um, I'm thinking, I'm forgetting the other um, main station. But you jo- go there, or we we bus up and save ourselves another hour, like things like that. <laughs> or hey, do you would you rather go up um, in the morning and train there? Things that like, okay, these are logistical things, right? But then I have to pass that message on and I have to go to the, the guys and say, hey, what do you guys think? Um, what do you guys prefer? And a lot of the time is it's almost split 50-50 or there's some people that won't say anything, but then no matter what decisions made, they're, they're fucking moaners <laughs> and they'll just moan and moan and moan. And you're yeah. like, no matter what, they'll complain to me and then you're like, dude, I can't do anything about it. The decision was already made. Um, but at the same time, you have that pride of like, okay, guys, you can handle it. And it's like, this is what it is. And we got to be professional. Guys, you guys shouldn't be posting things after a match or saying this things or whatever. Like, hey, have some accountability and, and professionalism. Like, we just lost the game 2-0. And you guys are posting your pictures on the bus or doing whatever. Like, you guys should be silent. You guys shouldn't be saying anything right now. Is and it's London like, the best country in the world? Can, can, you, can you answer London that? Is country. London country. <laughs> I'm sorry, city. Is, I love London, it, Jared. is London the best it, city it, in the world? It feels like a country, though. <laughs> I, I meant yeah. city. It, you know what? Spending six and a half years up in Manchester and then moving down uh, to London for three years, it, it was pretty cool, man. definitely different i got to i lived in west london and i mean just getting on the tube 20 minutes i'm I'm in central london you can see things that and uh it was cool man 
it was it was really really cool. Well, let me let me ask you this because you know we're kind of jumping around on your timeline uh, <laughs> quite erratically, and that's usually how our shows go. Um, I love it. I, I'm really curious about you know you're coming out of college. You, you had a tremendous college career. Um, you get drafted. You go into MLS. Um, was and you know and here we've just been talking about some of your time in in the in in England playing at just legendary clubs. Talk about that transition from college into MLS. You knew you wanted to be pro. You get drafted. You go in there. You have a tremendous start to your career. You know a lot of a lot of success going on early. At what point in your MLS years did you ever think that? The Premier League what was that the goal? Was Europe in general the goal, or were you, were you just? You should you should interview Dominic Kinnear. Oh yeah, because um, he has a pretty interesting story. Because my first, so when I got drafted to Houston Dynamo, Houston Dynamo they were you know MLS back to back champs, right? And I'm going to team with Brian Mullen. Brian Chang, Richard Mulrooney. Don't forget that. Don't forget that St. Louis guy. Dwayne DiRosario. Brad, Brad Davis. Brad Davis. Yeah. So you have you have like Wade Barrett. You have Pat <laughs> Onside. You have all these studs that are, you know, national team players, current players, like ex national team players. Um, and I'm going into this environment, and Dom kind of just. It's funny because you just put older players here, second, third year players here, and then all the rookies here. And we did a drill like it was a possession base, and we got absolutely pumped. <laughs> like we didn't touch the ball, and it was like this is this is the craziest thing. Like the the and it was it was my first day. I was like, you know what? I'm going in there. It wasn't a guaranteed contract. Like I made thirty-two thousand dollars my first year, like, and I was seeing a roster, <laughs> and I was just happy that I got that because if I didn't, I would have gotten developmental or senior developmental. And like senior developmental was like twenty grand. Developmental was twelve thousand five hundred. So I would have been better off going to McDonald's and working full time there and made more money. <laughs> but in 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 the in my mentality was like. I got basically two and a half, three weeks to show my ability and I'm gonna work my ass off. And um, it was the second day, third day that John Spencer um, pulled me aside and that was Dominic Kinnear's um, assistant. And he said, keep your head down, keep doing what you're doing, you'll have a long career. And he said, I give you by the end of this year with this work ethic, you'll have an opportunity to go with the national team. And he said that three days in. And How old were you at the time? Oh, maybe 20. I was like, obviously, because like finished my the four years of college or whatever. So I maybe, yeah, 20. 22? 21, yeah. 22? Yeah. And basically just said, don't, don't do what all these other guys are doing. Stay focused. Don't do the partying, do this. He said, this will make your career longer. And he said, you can save the drinking for when you retire. And this is a guy coming from like Chelsea, right? And, you know, a couple weeks later, um, 
Richard Mulroney. I, I, I got the ball and I megged Richard Mulroney. And this is a guy that the one of the best one touch, two touch players. And he had this like he had this uh little thing in his head that if you did anything, <laughs> he was he was gonna get you. And a little cray cray? Are you saying oh, that? Oh yeah, a little cray. He was definitely but crazy. He, had, he did this thing where I, and it wasn't me trying to like do him up and I wasn't it was just like I got the ball and I received and I just right through his legs and I went around. He turned around and two footed me. <laughs> and I just got up, I put the ball down and I just played. And Dom pulled me aside after and he goes, That's one of the best things I've ever seen. And he said, You're gonna have a long career. And then they offered me like a week later, they offered me the senior uh, senior roster spot and that was like Thirty-two thousand dollars, and I was like, "Yes, like I could survive here in Houston, and like get a one-bedroom apartment." And he said, "When I walked in the meeting, he said, what do you think?'" And I told him, "I said, I want to be here for a couple years. My goal is to make the national team, and my dream is to play in Europe." And he said, "Till this, if you, I mean, it would be great if you guys asked him, like, but." Well, if, if you cool if you happen to have his number, we'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> he's, never, he's never had a player go in his in his in his life eating like that and just say, "Hey, these are my goals and my aspirations. This is what I want to do, and I want to accomplish this." And it's more maybe I just I didn't really know what to expect or say or whatever, but I just knew that was my dream as a kid, and I remember my grandfather recording VHS games and Premier League games. And I would have a VHS and I would record my game and I would pick Man United or whatever. And he would pick Arsenal and whatever game that we're playing, we would change it on the weekend when he would come down. He'd bring the his game down and I'd give him the game that I recorded and we'd watch vice nice. versa. And then all of a sudden, like throughout the week, I'm watching those games. And and that's what I did. I would analyze players and like. So, so as a kid, who was your team? Who'd you sport? So in um, Serie A, it was Juventus, Paulo Neved, Edgar Davids, Zidane, uh, Del Piero. Uh, that team was incredible. And then um, La Liga, obviously, Real Madrid. Um, and uh, I was an Arsenal fan. I loved the way they played football. And... Um, I they're think from it's, the country it's, of London, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> they're in the south part of the country. They're, they're the east south part. part. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. And that was so cool because my first Premier League game was against Arsenal at home. You know, Stoke versus Arsenal, and that was like. Well, can, can I ask you, um, if you don't mind answering? You mentioned earlier that your dad has passed. When, when no. did when did he pass? No, my, my my grandfather. My grandfather. Oh, passed. your grandfather. I'm sorry. So uh, like, maybe it was a week. Before I was going down to the MLS Combine, okay, um, my grandfather took me out, uh, and he was going through dementia around that point. And um, we'd always go up to West Boylston for Christmas and to see uh, my dad's side of the family. And I remember right after that, he's like, he, he kind of said it was, it was his time. And then we went out for breakfast, maybe a couple of days later, and uh, he said. I'm proud of you and I have no doubt that you'll you'll make it and he's like I want to be there to watch it essentially but in deep down I knew that he wanted to watch it from above you know and and yeah. see it that way so um 
before every match, I had always picture him and my dad sitting in the bleachers. And like that was my visual when I'm singing the national anthem or taking my deep breath or whatever. That was my picture, my vision of seeing my grandfather and my dad sitting there just like I was when I was a kid. And I would call my dad before every single game and he'd say, all right, go in there, have fun, enjoy yourself. And he was my biggest critic. And like, he would know, like after a game, if I had a shit game, he'd be like, it's all right. Like, and then <laughs> if I didn't, if I didn't text him, like, he'd be like the next day, he'd be like, everything. All right. You're all right. And he'd be like, I'm okay. You know? And it was like, you have that support. And I think like, you know, us being dads, that's, that's one of the things you want to be hard as shit with them, like, and, and motivate them and push them to reach their ability essentially yeah. without knocking them and deterring them from getting there. But also like knowing, yeah, like I was in car rides home where my crying my eyes out and didn't want to ride home with them because he was hard on me. Yeah. But, I wouldn't be the player I was and I wouldn't be where I was if it wasn't for those moments. And I remember people would say, your dad's too hard on you. It's like, well, what do they know? Because <laughs> guess what? You know, like their, their <laughs> son or their, their son never played, you know, after high school or after club. And it's like, maybe you gotta, you're just misunderstood. <clears throat> yeah. Says that? That's, I mean, that's usually the answer. That's maybe, what we tell our wives anyway. Right? You know, may, maybe maybe those people are just misunderstood because they don't get what it took to become your career. Hundred percent. Well, I, I I do I you know we we laugh, but I I do think that there is um, more often than not, you know, when we talk to individuals like yourself that have that have rode the you know the highest wave in the game, and you know when we hear and and kind of dissect a little bit of the role of, of the father in particular, because these relationships are typically father-son based, that most of these stories do have a, a certain amount of angst, you know, a certain amount of uh, grit or graft, right? Even within yeah. within well the played. relationship, you know? Um, and I think I think there's a good balance there. And, and my question to you is because the other side of it is also that pride. It's that that loyalty, that love of whenever you're when you succeed, you, you can't wait to tell dad, you know, or, you know, and, and dads, when you see your children succeed or just, you, you know, you lose you lose your mind a little bit like nothing greater. So, Not in front of them. Just kind of off the side. You're like, fuck yeah. But then in front of them, you're like, that's what you're supposed well, to do. Well, I mean, be, you're dude. way off to the side. Anyway, <laughs> no one's around you and you get this shit. So I want to ask you about a, a moment in time and the experience and, and, and how that fuck yeah moment went. When you got that call that first time, you know, approaching and receiving your first cap. Now, all that graft, all those years of grind, all those two foot tackles from behind from guys that you shouldn't have done that to, you know, when that all came to fruition and you get that cap, what was that like? And what was that? What did that moment mean to you? It was, it was kind of a bittersweet to be honest, because I was subbed in in the game and, um, I was, um, it was under Bob at my first camp. I got injured. I did my hamstring maybe three weeks in, uh, two weeks into the camp. Um, so that was like my first January experience. And then I got a, that was a January camp. So like yeah. a lot of MLS guys. Yep. And then got called in again. 
Um, and after my second year, and I was starting to break through a little bit, and um, then I got my position. I was kind of looking. Around, I was like, I should be playing. I should like I should be starting here. And then you kind of make that that <clears throat> it was more of like a phantom like sub, and I appreciate it because it was still like amazing. And I got to like put on the national team jersey, and I actually like got to play. Yeah. So it was special in that moment, but. I think what really hit me was when uh, you step out as every kid dreamed of, like, going out to your first World Cup game. Yeah, starting the World Cup. That was like – and it's more of, like, every game that I played for the National League was special, right? But then, like, when you just hear a a World Cup anthem and you're walking out and you just get chills and it's almost – the goosebumps and all that kind of stuff just come out and – that's like, you know what? Fuck yeah. yeah. How many how many positions did you play in that World Cup? Did you play center mid, center back, and wing back? Yeah. That's amazing. That's an amazing stat for a kid from Attleboro, Mass, to play three different positions for our national team in the World Cup. Which is just outside of Providence. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even talked about fishing yet. Yeah, you know, you know it's, it's a lot of a lot of people will say, like I said, I have Oh, hold on one sec, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, buddy. Hey. It's a dad moment. It's all good. All right, I'll be there. I'll say goodnight to you, okay? This is your office? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeff, tell him who that is and how old he might uh, be. So that's, that's my son, Caleb, um, and he was born in London, mate. Uh, so I, I gotta teach him a little bit of an English accent. That's top, so, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I got up the say uh you're a top geezer <laughs> and then he sees a girl he says you're all right love oh, okay. <laughs> so, how, how, old, how old is he he's three and a half does he have graft already he does nice and to be honest he's got techers left footed though left footed he can absolutely like but the thing is i'm already seeing it now like he challenges me in a, in a way that i've never experienced and it's like that my dad just when my dad's down here and he'll come out for like a month at a time or whatever and he's like, Oh, I love this. This is such payback. Recipe. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's called karma. It's full yeah. circle. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. But um, Hey Jeff, let me go back. Like, did you know yeah. that you might play three positions in a World Cup? Did the yeah. coaching staff talk to you or did it just kinda happen organically as the as the tournament went on? No, I just kinda like happened and adjusted um throughout the the, the tournament it, it was crazy because like i look back in the portugal game i stuck my leg out hits my shin pad and it goes right to nani <laughs> scores like crush me the first minute right and we come back we get a get the goal and we go ahead the goal go ahead goal and having a gig like rebounded from that mistake or unlucky right and then all of a sudden omar comes on as a third center half and i kind of move over like as i yep back and we have the ball in the middle we're dribbling dribbling we lose the ball and it should just gone in the corner and they hit a dime and we're all pushing up and they hit a dime to ronaldo and he's running and i have two players 
between me, left and right of me. And I got to cover my other center half because Omar was up. And I got three holes to fill. So I'm fucked at this point. <laughs> is, is that your professional opinion? Or <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just I'm, I'm just in a I'm in a literally in a screwed position. No matter what I do, I go because I think my I think Matt Beezer was gonna. It was just he was gonna get it, or I needed to go there in case the first man flicked it. I needed to protect him. And then it goes over my head and I'm like turned around. I see like, boom. And it's just the time and I'm like reaching for it and boom, snapshot. Like, oh, like the two goals, maybe I'm at fault for it. Maybe I'm not. But then you look at like those, the other things that happened in those moments of that we could have like prevented it. Mm-hmm. It would have never happened. Right. And you're just thinking like you put an extra center half on we'll clean up the game and then we're pushed on super high. And then we get exposed by a world-class player and a world-class ball on your goal. Fuck. Mm-hmm. And then mentally that was like, I think one of the hardest things I had to deal with. Cause it was like, you got to overcome this. And then, then going to the Belgium game, I switched positions and I go into this like defensive midfield role. And like, my job is just to be with Jermaine and, just be a win balls and distribute 100 percent. get the ball to our best players Mm -hmm. speaking of best players he did well in that too in that game at the at the six that was i thought i thought for me that was your best game in the world cup i don't know what you what do you think i thought the first game um the first game i was pretty solid against ghana with their lineup and then us losing the us losing Josie and having to defend a lot of the game. I think we just dealt with a lot of pressure. Um, so maybe like as a team collectively, we did really, really well. Um, and then, you know, I always think it was like, was I good against the Belgium game? Cause we still like gave up like 20 something shots and him had like one of the most amazing games ever. Um, but I think it was just that game was so like, just, mayhem it was like up and back did we have trackers how many miles did you run in that game did you did you (laughs) was it double digits were you in the nine nine i mean i was pretty consistent with my like stoke days qpr days and and even like national team where i was up like you get to nine ten miles plus okay so well let me ask you this because a common question that we ask often ask um is regards to the whole it factor you've been talking about graft uh we've been talking about youth and player development and now kind of going through your career you know days in the mls and you i mean you name dropped a whole long list of players that are just world class um who's the one well let me ask you this first when you think of a player that has quote it right and that has that combination of factors that you look for what is that and who's a player that really represents that from your past that you've played with in particular that you know you you at any chance if you had the choice they're in your locker room what does that look like and who is that person so if i'm talking about americans i would definitely pick clint like he's 
he's a boss man like his just mentality he would it was funny like i'm playing against him in training and i'm like going against him and i'm like i'm not gonna let him turn and like try to do me up so i'm going in hard and he'd be like yo you like he'd get <laughs> mad and i'm like well clint what do you want me to do and he's like all right let's go and like we'd push each other in that way and but he'd also like if you lose the ball and try to do something and he'd make a mistake he'd say give me the ball back i want to do it again and again and again until he like actually did it and to have that confidence to do that over and over again is completely different because when you say i want the ball and you try to do a step over and you try to make a move and it doesn't pull off what's the next thing you do play simple right get your confidence back and not clint different beast he's like give me the ball i'm going to do the same thing again and i'm going to make it happen and most of the time he would do it but he had that competitive nature he didn't want to lose he wanted to be the best and he wanted to score goals and Clint's just Clint, and I compare him like with the you know you look at Christian and his mentality. Christian wants to be the best, yeah, and you know he has that ability. Like, but he's just he's quiet like Clint in the sense like he's not like I think he's more introverted in, in the the public scene essentially. And then when you know him personally, he's like a little bit more outspoken and and things and you get to know him a little bit um but i think the public don't really know like his mindset is is top and that's why he's played at chelsea that's why he's at ac milan that's why he's continuing yeah. to fall out and uh, that's why he's been a baller for the national team yeah i'm glad you brought that up because i was going to ask you that question um about clint or excuse me about Christian in particular, um, you know, obviously your knowledge of the of the Premier League is, is second to none. You saw what happened to him with him over the years at Chelsea. Full disclosure, I'm a Chelsea fan. Um, Here we go. Yeah. Well, that's all I was gonna say. We don't even need to keep going. Um, <laughs> when you, you know when the news broke, when Bowley and 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 team you know, made that deal and you saw where he was going. Um, what, what's your take on that, on, on that, on that, on that deal, on that transfer, on that trade? Um, good, good for Christian, bad for Christian, happy for him, frustrated for him. Um, because it's, it's, it's a, it's a a big move. Yeah. I think, I mean, if, if you look at the games that he played for Chelsea and his pro like his product and what he delivered he was top now at the end of the day like you can't stop and prevent injuries from happening like especially like the way he plays and the way guys lay tackles in and i mean and he was used to it in germany playing i mean he played at dortmund like yeah it's still a massive club yeah and he goes to chelsea and he like, plays his first year and then he gets rewarded the number 10. And then he's got more pressure on him. And then he balls out and then he gets injured. And then it's like, how quickly can he get back? And his expectations of when he's back from his injury, he's got to go be the Christian again. And then all of a sudden he gets injured again. Like those things happen. Um, 
and I think like the manager change and him going back with Tuchel where you know obviously he was there at Dortmund and there was some disconnection there and that's I mean one of the reasons why it was sold because he could have gone to probably any club Bayern Munich and Chelsea and yeah you know, Tottenham and all the other teams that wanted to sign him before he signed at Chelsea and you just think of like people saying all this stuff is just crazy and then he has the ability to go fresh start where a club is like you know what they have a good manager now and like they they're focused and they're like hey he's a big part of our team and they're gonna let him shine he's gonna be able to have it if he stays fit and like healthy do you, you'll see the friction that 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 do, they saw at chelsea do, do you find it ironic if any of you guys find it ironic that milan's team right now is like a third of chelsea mm-hmm. <laughs> academy and and transfer players right now i mean what what do you think that locker room is like <laughs> i mean just it's think like of jeff like teaching caleb how to chelsea. say english phrases yeah exactly hey love but think think of all the players that have been in Chelsea, and then like top players that just end up falling through, or just become a kind of a revolving door. The manager comes in, and how long the manager lasts? Boom, they're out. A new manager comes in. That guy wants his players and wants his style. And I mean, it's it's a chop and change thing, and it's really hard for players. Um, well, Jeff, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. You said something before about coming back to MLS, and a young player is doing something in the locker room that would have never been able to even survive in Europe, right? Talk to us. You know, a lot of parents are listening to this thing, right? And these three guys here have kids playing at a high level. Um, you've talked about mindset. You've talked about mentality, grafting, grinding, however you want to define it. Look at what Chelsea was last year, right? And I'm just because we're on Chelsea. <laughs> a lot of highly paid players, really athletic, but where did they end up at the end of the day in the table? Not right? relegated. Not that's the benchmark now for <laughs> that, no, that, kidding. That, that was mine. Right. What I'm driving at here is that you can have all the talent in the world, but what is it that makes a player special? What does it make it like we always watch you were there at Stoke City. You had some average players playing above average and you had some average players that um when I say average, like, let's compare them to Ronaldo, Messi, all the way down the food chain. I'm not saying they're bad players because they're in the prem. What I'm getting at is that you guys have leaders. You had yeah. people that knew their roles. You had some humility. You had some pride. But talk to some of the parents out there that all they care about is how athletic their kid is and how good they are on the ball and what that might translate into a team environment. Do you get what I'm driving at? Yeah, that... It's the the mentality of. You started um, to touch on it when you were about being a captain. Like you got to be a leader, yeah. and but the, then you got to create, do other creating stuff. chemistry. Right. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's one of those things where you can't. It's 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 a really good question because it's so hard to explain. Essentially, because it's like teach your kids not to be. I did it right <laughs> like, just it's really really simple not to be an asshole to be respectful you can be the most talented player but don't be a dick right don't be right. don't be so arrogant that you can't be coached or that you know better yeah we've all been there you have bad training sessions or whatever and like you understand what the coach is saying but if you can't talk 
and I, I've seen it here, like some kids that we're training with and you try to give them information, I know which ones are actually focused. And I know ones that are just going one ear and out the other. You can see it and in their no face. One, you absolutely can. They will not make it. You know why? Because they don't have the willingness to learn and they don't have the willingness to actually understand the situation. And it's, are they more focused on the Instagram and becoming this? And that's why I call them fraudsters. Cause they're like, all these kids are like, they get in the MLS and they're posting all these pictures and everything. And I'm like, you see all these other guys. Okay. You have Pogba, you have all these men city. Yep. They're top players. They've won a world cup. They're playing at real Madrid. They're playing at men city. These guys are a different beast, but do you see all the other players? Are they doing the same thing? Are they posting pictures of like them driving in Rolls Royces or whatever, or wearing like these new track suits and like the Louis Vuitton shoes or just whatever, just be like, be yourself. Like, and I'm not saying don't express yourself or whatever, but there's a, de there's definitely a sense of like, read the room. I mean, read the room. If I'm a, if I'm a coach and I'm scouting and I see a player, my first thing that I would look at for, and I see it like in, in training is it, what's your reaction? As soon as you lose the ball, what do you do? You put your hands up, you moan, you say like, oh, is this his fault? Nah, like what's your reaction? Get, get back, get the ball back. And it was funny cause I had um, a family member that came and, and trained with Breck and I for a couple weeks and um, he wanted to kind of get a, a little sense of what it was like to kind of train in, in a kind of a higher end uh, environment. So we pushed him through some of the training sessions. And there was a point where he watched, I, I watched him lose, he lost the ball three times. The first time he went, just watched it. And it was a drill where if you lose possession, two people have to go across, you, you gotta win possession back and then play it back to your group and then they send two over, right? And I watched him three times. And he just, he started from the top of the box and he worked his way back. And I'm like, trust me, I've been there. I know when you're fatigued, you start moving away at the back of the, the box. <clears throat> and didn't react after he gave the ball and he hit pass. Another one again. And the third time I said, he put his hand up. I said, hey, are you going to run for the three other times that, your other teammates ran for you because you pissed the ball away and you're going to stand in the back corner. And he went, and then he started running. So then after the whole training session, he said, he, he said to me, he's like, are we, are we done? I said, he's like, that's it. Like it, it was easy. And I said, no, we're going to get on the line. We got to do some fitness. And then he said, and he's a good runner. Like he's fit. So I gave him a fitness drill. He pissed it fit. And he kind of made, after the first set, he made a, a comment to the older players and some of the kids, hey, you're going you're gonna to join the fitness run. And I said, they're going to watch you run because you didn't run in the training session. I'd rather see you run in a training session and go after the balls that you didn't you know, track for. You made a mistake and that reaction, then you just doing a fitness run after this. I said, what's more important? You training properly and and." and doing things right or 
anybody can do a fitness run and be great or you could be bad it doesn't matter fitness doesn't part that's separate but it's like how you train and like giving that advice of like hey every training session matters and every touch every pass every first touch and like the fundamentals of having a good first touch and having a good pass is the foundation to being successful because guess what everybody can be the the best dribblers and do all these flashy moves step overs and everything but if they can't pull up, pass the ball five yards it means nothing they can't have a good first touch to set themselves up means nothing because when we get to the higher levels the yep. first touch everything accuracy is everything yeah so so I want I want to have a little fun and go off the rails a little bit here because uh, let's get into a little bit of the flash and the bling and the and the wow, <laughs> um, you know because you referenced um, your uh, thirty two thousand dollar windfall back in the day, uh, <laughs> uh, and then clearly things changed as your career progressed. Um, is that is that true, financial planner? <laughs> you, I can neither confirm nor yeah. deny. But he's doing all right. <laughs> he's doing. Uh, so y- you make the move. Things are hammering. When that, and I won't ask you when, won't ask you how much. What I'm concerned with and most interested in, when that windfall came, and whatever that is defined as for you, what was your stupid purchase? Was it a ride? Was it a trip? Was it, let's see, you're from Boston, so it was a Bruins front row seat. What would you do? What would you do with that stuff? It wasn't going to Fenway, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I say one of my biggest purchases, I bought my parents my uh, house. Nice. Um, and that was, I mean, it was technically my house, but I allowed them to live in it, right? <laughs> I have a small bedroom. <laughs> well, I believe that's, that's the deductible uh, aspect of the purchase, right? right. There. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> uh, no, but like, I definitely had a few stupid purchases and I regret now, like, you just think like shit. I could have done so much more with that. As you know, you're not thinking. You get, yeah. I want to have kids and family and stuff like that later on. But like, you weren't thinking of that at the moment. But yeah, when you get a, you get a, a bar tab or a nightclub and it's, it's hefty. <laughs> <laughs> but what was it for? Like it was. Now Jared's paying attention. Yeah, I mean, Jared's what? like, how hefty? Let's talk <laughs> yeah. heft. Uh, I mean, uh, Greg might shoot me here, but like, if it's like 15, 15 grand for, uh, <coughs> he's uh, crying uh, actually for a night out in Paris or something like that, you're like, that's yeah. worth every fucking penny. <laughs> I mean, fuck you, Greg. Hold on one second, guys. If that's all right, one yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think? Do you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised you haven't asked him where he likes to go out. Uh, I will. What was the question? Is Beasley the best, the best city to go out in? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I yeah, actually man. have there because my back is messed up still. Um, it's probably from carrying Breck. <laughs> it was Breck or three bundles of shingles yeah, on a 12-12 slope. Yeah. 
<laughs> up a ladder. My dad's like, what? You go pick up the scraps. <laughs> um, but it gave you an appreciation for hard work, right? Absolutely. Uh, so, nah, yeah. I'm really interested on uh, so, these, so, these hefty bar tabs and what is big. Well, well Jared, Jared was about to ask, what country do you prefer to party in, and why is it London? Yeah, and <laughs> best women, best food, best drinks, and I think I've even had a $15,000 bar tab. <laughs> pesos I mean, don't count. Yeah, maybe pesos. Paris is yeah amazing um and then you can say spain is is incredible as well which do you like better barcelona or madrid though barcelona yeah yeah barcelona, barcelona. you gotta speak catalonia right uh zach's over there like shaking his head like my co-hosts are idiots they pronounce this all wrong you, you that was good i like the list <laughs> Greece, Greece is up there, like for for like I would say, for the the most relaxing and like happiest place I've ever been, and to just be with my family and friends, and to be in a moment where you just like literally melt and you can properly re relax is Greece, and that's not like without the partying and stuff. This is just like to float in the water and to just get on a boat and like you have 10 of your friends and you're just anchored down and you go into a cove and you just chill there. It's I think it was. It's probably like, very similar to party cove at the Ozarks, right? Oh yeah. The water's just <laughs> as um, murky. Great show by the way. <laughs> oh, there yeah, it is. Ozark, you know, Missouri filmed in Georgia. <laughs> so exactly. Jeff, what was the uh, what was the best stadium you yeah. played in? Environment. Oh. Nope. How about uh, let's define it this way: best national team environment, and then best club environment. Yeah. I mean, the Rose Bowl was pretty crazy. Oh yeah. That was. That, I mean, talking about against Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. That was. That was pretty insane, man. I don't think. I don't think we we played in a bigger stadium than that. And it was probably 60,000 Mexican fans screaming puto and then <laughs> 40,000 yeah. Americans. Bags and of urine cool, being thrown. Cool to score in that one. Um, but Azteca is insane. I got some yeah. questions about Azteca real quick, not to jump <laughs> off. So when you're playing in these qualifiers or you're at Azteca, were you on these teams when you were staying in the hotels next to Azteca where all the shenanigans were going on, like fire alarms, sprinkler alarms, fireworks, you know, oh, yeah. trying to food poison. I mean, what were they doing to you guys in that hotel when the, the, the eve before you go walk into Azteca to play Mexico? I mean, that's that's essentially like they do everything possible. I mean, it's same in Mexico, Costa Rica, any any like – Guatemala, El Salvador, they like have people outside the hotel lighting fireworks, calling your rooms like you get told to disconnect your 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 phone and um, Honduras is the same like I mean they made it a national holiday and they like you have the pitch the grass pitch is about this long and FIFA regulations is like here yeah and they, they try like to slow you down right um, Cuba was crazy. That was insane. It was literally playing on hay, and it was like 
There was no running water in the bathroom. I mean, at the stadium. So we had to get, like, we got dressed at the stadium in our full kit. And then, like, guys have to take shits and pisses, like, before the match. <laughs> and you're like, ah, I can't really do this. <laughs> <laughs> hold this. <laughs> hey, communism works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, so then I'm going to assume the problem in Paris was the women in the hallway. Yeah, yeah, that was. That was <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Uh, well, I mean, we could we could go on and on and on, man. But we we know you you've, you've no no I got it's all good, man. Um, well, yes, uh, dude, I mean, man. If, if you're going to extend the clock here, I mean, I'm I'm really got, my my favorite Emirates. <clears throat> Like for me, was that your first like, match? The one you were talking about before with Stoke? So no, that was Stoke at home. Oh, okay. but because I always, I grew up watching Arsenal, and um, it was like surreal because their pitch is like a putting green. It's it's amazing, um, and then like obviously the history of uh, Anfield and um, Man United, Old Trafford. Um, that was. Uh, pretty crazy, and then um, I end up like I think my first game in Anfield, I got shoved into the fans. Like I was, I made a tackle, and I was like I couldn't stop, and I had I jumped over the boards, and then I'm land. I landed on like obviously Liverpool supporters, and they're like, "You all right? Are you all right?" And then as soon as you get up, they're like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I mean, there's nothing more than you get like f off, you yank. Or uh, you mop it and you wanker and all sorts of stuff, but I it, I love it, man. Like it's just it's it's uh, fans being fans, but you appreciate them in a way. Like, well, well, let me let me ask you. Let's go ahead and get in back into soccer briefly. Then let me let me ask your take um, on on our pool today. You know, the national team pool, the players that are, you know, the, the top 20, right, power ranking players, where they're playing versus the development of continued development. I mean, after so many years, MLS is established. But what, what's your take? Because you guys, I mean, you've played in a ton of big games, successful and otherwise. And now here we are in this in this day and age, this realm with the politics, with the Reynas with, you know, uh, the list goes on and on and on and on. H- how good do you feel about where we're at today with the player pool? And and my real question is, what role or what is the balance that you see moving forward? What is European teams, European leagues, the players being over there versus MLS? How does that little triangle work between our players and where they're playing today with kind of the global growth of the game and all of these other nations that are developing very, very fast, are we developing as fast? Could we do it faster? And where should our guys be playing? I think now that the MLS has realized that they can't try to hinder players from going abroad, and or, and I understand why they want they wanted to keep their players here, right? Like because it's good for the game and the growth of the states. But in hindsight, it's it's actually better for them to go like they're a product of the MLS. I was a product of the MLS and it's like kudos to them. And it's kudos to everyone who's been gone through the Academy, the first team and played in the MLS. And then they've made that jump abroad. It's great because 
it gives credit to the league that they're developing players. But if you look back and and this is where I really I'm I'm very fortunate and and um, lucky to have played under Jurgen and you know we had our differences and our, our, our you know conversations, but he loved that. He loved that fire because if you didn't if you didn't like like his decision he wanted you to see, he wanted to see that you you were upset because it showed him that you cared and that you wanted to be here if you you didn't get called in or you didn't play and you didn't say anything then he would be like you don't really care and what he did is he pushed players to play at the highest level and the easiest thing to say is this every team every country that's won the world cup where are their players playing what league are they playing? What's their exposure? Are they playing in Champions League? Are they playing Europa League? Are they playing in the Premier League? Are they playing La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga? Are they playing in the top leagues in the world? Yes. Are most of them playing Europa League or Champions League? Yes. So week in and week out, they're playing against world-class players, and they're exposed to that level on a regular basis, either in training or in matches. So what gives you more of an ability to reach that level is if our national team and our best players are playing at the highest level and they're exposed and they're playing against these players on a regular basis because guess what when we go to the world cup oh we played against these players on a regular basis there's no fear yeah. there's no like the tempo is the same like they have that experience and they have the knowledge of what it's like to play against top players week in and week out and that's the difference of you know messi's coming here and he's messi's messy he's unbelievable but messi's been doing this every weekend against teams and all these guys for how many years but guess what like these guys knew that and there it wasn't something new that how oh, they're they're playing against barcelona this weekend well or playing against psg they got world-class players on the pitch, every single one of them. Well, that's the league that they're in. So they're playing against these guys on a regular basis, and they're playing for their national team. So I think that's where the growth will continue to get better for the, the U.S. And if you look back of what Jurgen said in the beginning of trying to get our players and pushing them to the highest level, look where all our players are now. And look how many were under Jurgen and what he was trying to do and it's like it's kind of like proof it is in the pudding now and where we are and um i like what, what you we, what you specifically said about jurgen and the dynamic of you guys arguing um <clears throat> excuse me um you know not arguing but but having a sense of giving a uh, I mean, there's there's videos out there. You can get on a YouTube, uh, you know, Jurgen in his heyday playing, watching that German team and watching on the field during games and in trainings, Lothar Mateus, for instance, you know, the famous the defensive midfielder. They are arguing at all times. They're demanding greatness. They're fighting. They're, they're, there's a line of respect. And and that, that that that's phenomenal that you that that you referenced Jurgen and, and, and the greatness that he demanded out of you guys. I wish Jurgen could have coached us a little bit longer. Yeah, do, I was going to ask you that. Do you think he deserved <clears throat> an extension, more time, 
you know, yeah. because I think we jumped the gun, to be honest. And I think there was a lot of other things happening behind closed doors and everything like that. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, I look back and I think what he and Bob did an amazing job, what he did with the national team and what he took from Bruce and Bruce was that. And then Bob took it over and he, he raised us to another level. Then Jurgen came in and he kind of raised it from a holistic approach, right? He came in, World Cup winner, a German standard, German national team, you know, manager, right? And the standard that these guys were at and just the attention to detail. Um, we had more staff of, um, of more fitness trainers and sports science as a doctor and like his mentality was like if you can get one percent better why not do it that's going to give us the edge and an, uh, a better chance of winning the world cup and we have to play against the best to be the best so playing in italy um and beating italy and going against a team that hey Pirlo was popping us but we had then that fight that american sense of just hey we're just kind of grafted and no one's going to expect us to to go to Italy and beat Italy or, you know, we're going to uh, Russia and go to them and then uh, Bosnia. And, and like, so you, you want to go and expose yourself to these teams and, like, be uncomfortable because that's what's going to happen when you go to a World Cup. You're going to be uncomfortable. So w what's the same thing of – and it's no offense to CONCACAF, but – why are we playing in the Nations League or why are we playing in CONCACAF when you're playing these teams all the time or the Gold Cup? Is that really beneficial for us as a country or is it a money grab in the sense of like you just play these teams and yeah, your expectation, you'll go to the final with either Mexico, the U.S. and and whoever, right? Right. And, and, and you know, the U.S. didn't make it, right? But it's just the, the sense of we play these teams all the time. Why not challenge ourselves? And it's great. Copa America coming. We're, yeah, we have the ability. If we play Argentina and Brazil, our expectation, yeah, we should be getting out of the group. And then if we get the likes of Brazil or Argentina, yeah, are we the underdogs? But we're in our home country. And, yeah, we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. But that's what you could get at, at a World Cup. So what's better than to, to get that and – with the, our young group now, with that experience in this past World Cup, we should be going in and confident. And uh, the one thing that scares me, though, is having the World Cup here in the States and the pressure that's going to be on us in, like, the social media and the media aspect of it and the endorsements and all these people that are going to be trying to connect to the players. And that's going to be a different beast. And it's like The fraudsters. <laughs> yeah, and how, how can we get these these players to just stay focused and not worry about the outside of stuff and make their money while they're we're still playing? But well, um, what do you think? You, you know, because when you look at the spine or the heart of this team, come uh, twenty six, <clears throat> it's going to be young. It's still going to be a very young team. Um, just just predict what, what what do you think? What's a what's a good result? Is it is it get out? Is it quarters? Is it semis? What would make you feel as if looking at the current talent pool, looking at where they're playing, looking at their own individual development 
paths, right? Like Christian at AC, and now you know looks he's already starting off strong. You got Josh uh, doing what he's doing, um, you know, in the championship. All these players are doing really, really well. What's successful today? In if you were to predict in twenty six for this group of players, well, I think there's going to be a, a little bit of a change between some of the the big big name countries with some of their older players like finishing up or it might be their last opportunity so having a young group that one is we've just had one of the youngest world cup teams to have that experience and to not really have any expectations but to go through this essentially my personal opinion i'd like to see them get to the semifinals. i believe i, I honestly like in my belief i i i think that you need 100% luck and you need some things to go your way. But I wouldn't sell it short to for the US to make it to the World Cup final or winning the World Cup. I mean, everything happens for a reason and like, you know, you meet it you might need it a miracle, but it's you know, being the underdogs, us having like we finished third in Copa America. We went toe to toe with Colombia and I think we were half of our team was shell shocked from playing against Argentina because some of the players have played against these type of players before and some of these players haven't. And it was a mixture of both. Yeah. And we were like, oh, wow. Uh, we got Messi, Mascherano, and we have all these guys around us and Iguain and world class players. And, and then some of the guys were like, yeah, we play them. In, Aguero and Hazard and all these other guys, right? Yeah. And you're thinking, and you look at your teammate, and he's never really played against these guys on a regular basis. And then it's like they're a little apprehensive. And those are the, the minutes where, or those moments where it's like, oh, we've already been through it. We have the confidence now. We have these guys playing in all these different levels and high levels and, and scoring goals. And now the the pool is getting bigger because there's more players going over and they're all like doing well scoring goals in 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 top leagues so i think it's a it's going to be a hard decision for 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 greg but i hopefully he gives everybody a fair opportunity to um you know with the, some of the guys that he left off in the last world cup um hopefully they have the opportunity to get back on the side of like going to the next one. Yeah. Well, I'm going to close this out here real quick with the most important question, because you mentioned earlier in the, in, in our chat that you were given advice to, uh, keep your nose clean, work hard, go to bed early. The beer can be saved for when you retire. Right. I think that was my, I'm paraphrasing yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now that you've retired, what, for a what's, bar tab. what's the beer of choice, man? I mean, what, what are you drinking these days whenever it's time to uh, lock you it down what? for the night? I don't. It's it's crazy. I don't really drink that. Oh, <laughs> it's too many years. He worked of, out too long. It's, it's, it's crazy. because <laughs> I told him I, never I, to have a bar tab ever again like he showed yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that so was like maybe, Jeff and I yeah. are a lot alike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know you guys are pounding some beers, but I, you know what? 
I would say if I'm gonna have a a nice drink, a Woodburn Reserve on the rocks. There we go. Because I was trying to do the math. Like, how many bottled waters does it take to get to 15k? Uh, here we go. Well, Depends so, on where you at. You're in Paris. It's, it's more of a, so. That's the thing. Like it's and this is where I regret. It's in that moment, and I've <laughs> yeah. been in a club in a nightclub where it's like you're just buying bottles for for the sake of a show, and then you're like <laughs> you're not even drinking it half the half the time. The waiters, the waitress, or like whatever, they're coming over and they're spilling the drinks on purpose. So you piss through the vodka, yeah, and it's all over the floor, and then they have the people coming over. It's like a show. It's like a conveyor. Oh, you need another bottle? Yeah, let's get another bottle. Get the flares going. That's, that's how, that's, that's how it is at your poolside. No, it is not. There's <laughs> nothing filled. <laughs> hey, Jeff, I just want in closing, I want to thank you for the yeah, time. Man. But please, I'd be remiss. Please thank Ariel for allowing yeah. you to be here, especially at bedtime for the kids. That's his good. lovely partner, his much better half. So please yeah. thank her on our behalf. Yeah, yeah man. Hey. Good luck to you, man. And good luck to Bra- you and Breck and your business uh, venture and, and whatever that is. And we'll probably find out soon, but good luck to you. What? what can, can, can we ask what part of Florida are you guys kicking this thing off in? There we go. Uh, South, South Florida. So our goal is to between um, kind of like the Delray mm-hmm. uh, area all the way down to, I mean, this is the vicinity lo- location that we'd like to be at um, Delray and, and Boca and Parkland area in that on that line closer to the beach, but not too far inland where nice. it's a peak to north of Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, oh, I like but, it. I mean, to be honest, man, like I like I said, I, I know you guys all have kids and everything like that is, um, you know, don't give them um, give them as much information as you can and like be positive but push the shit out of them yeah and make it make it uncomfortable i mean that's it it's, it depends on the mentality of of your child right and you guys know best but i think in the world that we live in to now like now is we need we need the 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 mentalities that are the hard workers that are not afraid to roll up their sleeves and um i think those are the those are the players that will be more successful and I think what I've seen the the transfer of, you know, being young coming into the game and being old and retiring now, like you know, <laughs> that sense of like my last few years, you started realizing like the mentality shift in the dressing room, and um, I would say like more of the entitlement, right, and just the standard of of yeah, like this is this is normal when it's it's not like be the first one yeah help help the coach out like pick up the cones and pick up the balls and like it's not brown nosing your like the coach it's literally like just being respectful and and showing that you care and you love the sport and that goes such a long way and you see it and it's like picking up your trash after (laughs) after you're done with the game it's just simple things and like professionalism and it, it all starts at home jared Zach, yeah, yeah, gotta keep that kitchen clean. You know, first, you, you know, the house <laughs> then, is in order over and then, here. And then on the field, yeah, you know, it's. I feel like I feel like Zach is like he's been waiting to ask something, but he's. <laughs> <laughs> no, shoot, man, if you gotta good. say shoot, it's been good, and and, and I appreciate kind of the pushback on on where we are today, and and really giving parents a little bit more authority to discipline. 
um, and and be more of a hard ass. Uh, my only question was going to be, when did you realize that your dad was right? Because my assumption <laughs> is there was a lot of times and many, many car rides where you're like, fuck you. Uh, I get my ass off and you don't know what you're talking about. Or was it always you just knew that he was right and you always respected it? That's my only question. No, we bumped heads. Like, and, But it was more of like, I respected my father and and I knew he worked hard and like you think about the the sacrifice that he had to do later on but you can appreciate it now but I think going back one moment off of um, the field at University of Rhode Island and I got a first red card at that point and I think my stats for red cards is very, very low, by the way. Um, <laughs> and it was a bad – I was just late. My dad kind of called it. The guy was man-marking me the entire game, and he was just – I wasn't getting anything. And he kept on just pushing my buttons. At the time, there was two scouts, and Stevie Nichols was there and um, his assistant, uh, Paul Mariner. And they walked out two minutes before I got the red card. And I didn't have a bad game up to that point, but I wasn't playing the best of my ability. This guy was just, the ref wasn't giving me anything. And my dad, I call, probably the worst time he could probably say something. And <laughs> at that sense of like, I'm in college, I'm a junior or senior at that point, a senior. And he just looks at me and says something. And I was like, shut the fuck up. And I walked right by him. And I've never, and my dad is like hard-nosed hockey guy. If I ever said boo to him, he would knock me out, right? <laughs> but it was that moment. And I, reg like, I regretted it right after. And I was like, can't believe I just said that to my father. And I felt like a piece of shit. But it was almost like my grandfather was still alive and he's like, and I, he walked me to the, the truck and my dad was like maybe 20 feet behind and he was furious. <laughs> and my grandfather said, don't worry. It's happened so many times. Like, <laughs> he, like he said it to my, my grandfather. And it was, it was just that, that point in time where I was like, Okay, like I am a man. He's a man. He's my dad. The respect thing, and he was right. Like he, he pushed me, and all he was trying to do is like, hey, there was someone in the stands. You fucking idiot! You should have like kept your head and your focus. And like it was just that. Yeah. And you look and you you learn from those moments, but the humility that I could say like. I have nothing but respect and he's my best friend. And like now what he's doing, he's changed his energy of like him critiquing me on the soccer field to now like questioning everything I do with the business. Now. <laughs> like, do you think this works? Like, do you really think this could work? Like, and it's more of like his focus is now being a dad. He's pushing me to another level that, I've never experienced and I'm learning the business side of it, but I believe like my hard work, the way I had 
you know, my drive to get to where I wanted to be in my career is the same drive that I'll have for my business and how successful I want to be. Um, and it's like his focus is changed, but he's pushing me into that level. And I don't think, um, I think the dads will always be that dad to keep challenging and questioning you and to keep pushing you to, to the limit and, um, don't give up. Right. Like he could have thrown in the towel on me a few times and said like, yeah. And he's given me, he gave me the opportunity. Like, Hey, say like, do you want to play or not? I'm not wasting my time. Yeah. Like, you know, do you want to do a side job and, uh, um, go pay for your boots and stuff like that. And I, I said, dad, there's one point I, I can't go wake up at six in the morning, go into Boston and do a full day of carpentry and framing houses and stuff and then coming home and then having to train properly and he said we'll get a job this is in Wrexham <laughs> yeah you end up like coaching soccer and you're like all right like doing soccer camps and just make some cash and you know like great everything works out but just keep pushing man well this has so been a blast great. dude um I, I you know there's there's a million different nuggets that we picked up here um, we've all been legitimately fans of yours, of your career, of the teams uh, for a long, long time. So this is really an honor to be able to to chat with you and ask these questions. And, <clears throat> you know, and, and as dads, hearing you talk about your relationship with your dad and now you've got your own coming down the pipe at you and this next phase, what you and Breck are doing, um, I'm stoked to see what, what happens next. So... You know, love, love to, uh, you know, keep in touch and check base, yeah, you know, 100%. down the road. And maybe have, have him back I mean, on. This is fun to do this, man. Like, just Good. chatting, you know, like, to just, I mean, I, I know I can talk and I can take hours, but <laughs> I, I feel like this is, fun, it's fun because this is what reminiscing and kind of going through. And I love giving feedback that I can, or even things I haven't thought about in so long. And you think about me like, oh, been in that moment and we didn't even touch the college stuff but it's still like yeah yeah it, we'll, we'll still like, those are the journeys man and like these little things that if you can take a, a part of it and it uh, or someone hears a nugget of it and just like oh yeah that makes sense from this perspective yeah and they get something out of it fantastic right so so that's i love that and just an fyi we've been we've been on here for a little bit um since we've been sitting here, I actually filed all the trademark pa paperwork for Graft. I will be selling <laughs> T-shirts uh, in two weeks' time. So pick, text me your uh, size and color preference. and uh, Black and large. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's been awesome, man. Really appreciate it. We, uh, we'll definitely keep keep in touch and we'll we'll bring you guys back on uh well, you got, you got my main launches. man greg there that keeps me going so <laughs> there you uh, go man so keep them on his we'll, toes. we'll do that thank you uh i'm gonna roll us out here real quick and um you know hey give us a follow give it a share we really appreciate you know we'll bring more of these stories your way uh we're gonna roll out with a little simple man because it seems kind of apropos just work hard don't be a dick right <laughs> be a simple man so uh jeff best of Best of luck, man. Greg, thank you. Uh, Pinnacle and Crescent, you know who you are. Uh, thank you for the support, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>